Um, Steve, I was only able to worship this morning because you used the Hammond B3 organ back here. Just thank you for that. I'm not kidding. It's funny, but I'm not kidding. Oh, goodness. Um, if you uh, got a Bible um, or a phone, if you'll go to Matthew's chapter 16 in your text today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 2 together in our continuation working all the way through Matthew's gospel. Matthew 16, 1 through 12. <clears throat> Last Saturday, and we went to see my oldest son, Trey, at Sanford. Uh, he was a part of an organization, um, like a, a group of guys that got together. They called themselves Dudes Aplenty, and, uh, which is not the most college thing you've ever heard. And um, they, along with 16 other organizations, some of them fraternities, some perform what they call stepsing. And it's like a many, many year old tradition at Sanford. And they all perform these 10 minute Broadway musical type things um, where they sing and dance according to a theme. And they repurpose rock songs or Broadway songs from all these other things. And they repurpose them and use them. And so we sat and we shouldn't at step sing. It was really, really great. And uh, on the way back, I mean, it ended like at 5.30, you know, and it was like, oh, I'm not really hungry yet, but is there really anywhere to eat between Birmingham and Nashville? And as it turns out, there is, y'all, the Bucky's is open in yes. Athens, Alabama. And so after making fun of so many of my friends online um, that I have, uh, have ever seen, now, we, it was... It, Great. Uh, Jono's Club Melt Sandwich, perfect. My barbecue, eh, no offense if you really enjoy it. I didn't really, you know, it was not that, that great. All that aside, what I'm, what I'm trying to get to the fact is that the exit, that monkeys, but when you're leaving Bucky's and trying to get on the interstate back at 65, if those of you have done this, there are no signs there saying 65 South is this way or whatever. And it's because of the massive amount of cars that come in and out of Bucky's, the way that you get there is a little bit wonky. So I crossed over the interstate accidentally, and, and it's like a three-lane, and I had to do a U-turn on the way back. And the kids are like, what are you right. Signs, even in this day and age, signs still matter. Um, I'm trying to teach Jonathan how to drive without GPS. Without, not GPS is not even a thing anymore. What do you say? Without Google Maps. Um, so we got in the car today, and he's like, Dad, I don't know. Do I turn right on the interstate or left? I'm like, we're going to go south. We're going to go south. That's what we're going to go. Okay, so that's right. Okay, that's well, signs. In our passage today, we're going to see two different conversations about signs. Okay. The first conversation, there is a demand for signs from a group of people who were missing all of the signs around them, or they're ignoring them. The issue is not a lack of, of all the signs that are around them. They don't need more. They need to read what's right there. In the second passage, Jesus is going to hold up and explain a sign of sorts to his disciples and to us that we, you and I, need to interpret and apply. Okay. So um, let's look together at Matthew 16, 1. And the Sadducees approached and tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. And you know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read them as a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. 
And then he left them, and he went away. The disciples reached the other shore, and they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus told them, watch out and beware of the leaven. We didn't bring any bread. And aware of this, Jesus said, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves that you do not have bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and the many baskets you collected or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many large baskets you Pharisees and Sadducees? It wasn't about bread. And then they understood that he had not told them to beware of the leaven in bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. So on Monday this week, Jack Robinson in Williamson County, I mean, they just, you know, citing impending weather that by and large did not happen. I don't know if you woke up on Tuesday and saw anything, but we saw Jack squat when it came to winter weather. So there was no justifiable reason in my heart. Get it. But that does not mean that we're not pretty good at predicting the weather. I have the app called Storm App, and it will show. Actually, they just, they just took away this feature. Now I have to pay for it if I want it, which I'm not going to do out of principle. But on the Storm app, this just you can pull it up and you can see they make a prediction based on, you know, all the way through the day where, I mean, right down to the line of how the storm's going to form. Like, it's really, really cool. Like, we've gotten really good at predicting the weather. We've saved a lot of lives because of satellite and radar and all these other tools that we have. But with, even without that, you can quite predictably get a grasp on what's going to happen with weather during the day if you will just use the old red sky night, sailor's delight, right? Red sky morning, sailor's warning. That's right. Jesus is using that very wisdom right here in this passage. So if you and I were to see a red sky this morning and think to ourselves, it's not going to rain in the next 24 hours, you'd be a moron, (laughs) right? Because it's going to rain in the next 24 hours. Why? It's coming. We'd have to wear that sign that the comedian talked about, the I'm stupid sign, if you actually believe that that was the case, because that's what it means. You can see a red sky in the morning and know, know beyond a shadow of a doubt, a storm is coming because the sign matters and it's clear about its meaning and its intent. So here are the Jewish leaders asking Jesus for a sign. They're asking him for something new, something different than what they've seen so far, something different than raising a Gentile from the dead, something different than walking on water, something different than feeding 5,000 people with two loaves, five five loaves and two fishes, something different than feeding 4,000 Gentiles with seven loaves. Something more than casting out demons. Something different. And of course, there really is no other such sign. And so Jesus turns to them when they come to him asking for a sign. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, which I'll come to in a moment. Jesus says to them, guys, if you can recognize what the weather is going to be like based on the color of the sky and the time of day that you're looking then you should be able to recognize the dawning of the kingdom when you see what I do 
and hear what I say. If you can read the sky, you can read what God is doing when you look at me. So he's not going to give him a sign. And he says, you know what, actually, I will give you a sign. A sign of Jonah. You'll get that sign. Now what is that? Well, Jesus just walks away when he says that. He wants them to think about it. So if you're going, hmm, I wonder what the sign of Jonah is. Good. That's what Jonah wants you to do. So you can think about it. Think about the story. Or you could go back to Matthew 12, verse 38, where Jesus used this exact same language. And because we've been going through Matthew, you may already remember what this means, right? Jesus is saying that... Um, Jesus is saying, guys, the sign of Jonah, this is what this means. If you go back to Matthew 12, 30, he says this. He says, Jonah came out of a, he came out of a fish after three days and three nights, and he preached to Nineveh. And what did Nineveh do? They repented and believed. They repented and believed. And then Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and said, and I'm going to come back to life. And the implication is that even with that sign, the resurrection, they won't believe. An evil and adulterous generation requires a sign. I'll give you a sign. The sign of Jonah. I'm going to die, and I'm going to give the Great Commission, and I'm going to ascend and disappear into the spiritual world, and you won't believe it. You can read the weather you're missing me it's the sign okay now that kind of thinking that the pharisees and the sadducees have is infectious right it can get passed around like a cold or jesus's metaphor is is different his is better <laughs> jesus's metaphor is like he said that kind of thinking is like yeast in bread that kind of thinking can impact and define the very dough that it is in. Okay? So when the disciples and Jesus cross the lake and they come to the other shore and they're getting ready to embark on a, very, on a much longer journey that we're getting ready to come to through the rest of Matthew chapter 16 and 17, they realize that they have not packed enough food for the journey. Okay? And so Jesus... In this, while they're having this conversation, jumps on the fact that they're going, we don't have any bread. What are we going to do? We don't have any bread. And Jesus says, let me tell you what you really need to be worried about. You need to beware the yeast, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And as you can see in verses 7 through 11, the disciples are so focused on the fact that they don't have these provisions. They think Jesus is talking about like the Pharisees and Sadducees giving them bad yeast. Like, the provisions that they might provide should be questioned. Like, are they poisoned? Are they just bad? They won't do the job. We're going to be stuck with flatbread, whatever, right? So Jesus is super patient with them, and he leads them. I mean, he's, I say he's patient. He's firm. He's clear, but he's kind and compassionate. And he leads them to understand. He's not talking about that. Look at verse 12 again. He says, verse 11, he explains everything to them. And then in verse 12, the light bulbs go off for the disciples. Oh, they understood that he had not told them to beware of the leaven and the bread, but of the teaching, underline this phrase, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, what does that mean? 
So when I was preparing this message I, on Monday, Tuesday, I, I first thought that Jesus was shifting the conversation away from the previous one with regard to um, the resurrection, okay? And in shifting it toward the fact that both the Pharisees and the Sadducees as teaching groups should be avoided. That you should be aware of what the Pharisees teach and you should be aware of that the Sadducees teach and the differences that they hold, that you need to keep it between the lines. Don't be this hyper-conservative respect. I even came downstairs and told Eli, I said, I love my analogy about cars and exits and signs and keeping it between the lines. This sermon's going to be awesome, which it's awesome not at all right now, but that's okay. Which is, so that's what I, that's what I thought. But then I actually started getting into the nitty-gritty about what the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. But the Pharisees did. They did believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees denied the afterlife, holding that the soul would perish at death. But the Pharisees very much believed in an afterlife, and they believed in reward and punishment. The Sadducees rejected the idea of the spiritual world. You see what I mean by progressive, right? And the Pharisees said, no, there are, there's a spiritual realm. There are angels and there are demons and, and, and so on. So when I learned about these differences, it made no sense to me, given the context that Jesus would shift from the idea of the resurrection and say, beware of the teaching of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Because it's the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. It's the Sadducees who didn't believe in an afterlife. It's the Sadducees who didn't believe in a, in a, in a spiritual realm. So he's not teaching a contrast between these two. He's, he's saying, beware of the teaching that the Pharisees and the Sadducees share in common. And did you notice that they came together with Jesus in this passage? It's a bipartisan commission of theological, ecumenical, across the spectrum to approach this threat called Jesus and shoot it out of the sky like a Chinese balloon. Okay? <laughs> That's what they're doing. See, I can be relevant. <laughs> so what is it that they have in common? Do you know what Pharisees and Sadducees, for all their differences that I just mentioned, do you know what they both agreed on? that the Messiah was a political and militaristic leader for a new nation of Israel. That they agreed on. Not about heaven or hell. Not about resurrection. Not about angels and demons and spiritual realms. But boy howdy, the Messiah better be a political and militaristic leader. And as we've seen chapter after chapter after chapter, Jesus is not on that path. He is the Messiah, but he is not going to fulfill their messianic expectations. And so Jesus, do you see what Jesus is saying? The yeast of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees, the thing that you know, which is my first point of application. This passage compels us to honestly and objectively explore our heart and ask the question, would I rather have an insurrection than a resurrection? There will always... Because we look at this world and we just want to... We've got to get it 
fix God, if you just fix it and you, and you, and you want to just go to a leader, a person, or a tribe, or an organization, or an institution, and put our hope and our trust in them to fix things, even though we have living proof that Jesus is fixing things. We would rather put our hope in an insurrection that makes a difference in the world we have now than our hope that is building a world that is coming. The kingdom is coming. We'd rather have an insurrection than a resurrection. And that is the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It is a political goal for the conservatives and a militaristic goal and a political goal for the liberals. And we are always going to fight the temptation to put our hope in those institutions and those organizations. In this world, it's a democracy. But in other countries, it could be a military. Wherever it is, we always want a king, don't we? There's always going to be this temptation to want a king to fix the things. And Jesus said, I'm king because I'm coming out of the ground. Not an insurrection, but a resurrection. That's the call to believe in the resurrection, which leads me to my second and last, last point. Christianity begins with an invitation. I, I think you could... Uh, what we're really talking about is whether or not Jesus died and rose again. Christianity begins with an invitation to consider the historicity and the factual truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. In other words, if it didn't actually happen, there was no victory over death by someone who fully paid the price for our sin. So if you doubt or question if Jesus was actually resurrected, then you are not alone because everyone in this room started with that skepticism. Okay? We all recognize that dead people are not in the habit of popping out of graves. Roddy, please tell me this is true. If only, right? If, I mean, right? But if you will, like, I get it. We Christians, it's weird. But, if, but it, actually, it's not. Because if you will consider all of the facts surrounding the event that are laid out in the Bible, not least of which is that hundreds of quite reasonable people witnessed his very public execution and then had conversations and meals with him after his burial, then you'll get intrigued and inspired to investigate the whole biblical story and understand quite well how this outbuilding ended up here full of people worshiping Jesus. But if you're not there, I get it. It's, it is not beyond reasonable, but it is quite unreasonable. But I believe anyway, because the signs are there. Okay. If I were to channel Jesus' conversation in this passage with you, I would say, you know what? He, this is what Jesus would say. He'd say, you know, guys, you know, Rob, you're, you're pretty consistent at reading the weather report because you want to be equipped for whatever lies ahead. You want to get out the... Like I stepped outside this morning in my, you know, coming out to church, and it was cold. I was like, I got to put a jacket on. I went, Rob, because I read the weather. I, I 
pay attention. And I want to be equipped for whatever lies ahead. You want to get your layers right. To which Jesus would say, are you reading the fact that I've actually come out of the grave? Have you given that the level of thought that it requires? So if you're not a believer, I want you to give it thought. Give it the time. Give it the attention. Consider the facts. Consider the implications. If Jesus came out of the grave, something has to change for you. And then if you are a Christian, don't stop believing. Just channel journey for you right here. Okay? Don't trade the resurrection for an insurrection. This country is not an extension of old covenant Israel. The resurrection. Preach the gospel. Believe the gospel for life change. Let's pray. Lord, compel us to believe, if maybe for the first time. Consider the facts of the resurrection, its historicity, the stories, the eyewitnesses, the testimony, the 2,000 years of clear impact throughout this world, the mercy, the compassion of the ministries of the people. Lord, so many signs, none greater than the sign of Jonah. Open our eyes to it for the first time and keep our eyes on it forever, never replacing it with any other hope or wish dream, but always believing the good news of the life and death and resurrection and ascension of your son. Who, if I remember Revelation 21 correctly, Yes, let me read this to you. Revelation 21, 22. John is describing the city of God, the new heaven and the new earth. I didn't see a temple because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are the temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates in it and the lamp is the lamp. Great. Now, what? Who is there? The nations. The nations will walk by its light. Isn't it interesting, folks, that there are still nations in the city of God? All the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city of God. Its gates, the city of God, will never close by day because it will never be night. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it not taking people out of their nations and forming one, one. All of the nations will find their identity in him and they will be in the city of God forever. We don't need an insurrection. We have a resurrection. So Lord, keep the resurrection in front of us. Always believing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.